Uh, today I'm going to talk to you, I'm working on some stuff right now because of the age that we live in, the culture that we live in. For the past probably 20 years, we've really gotten away from discussing end times. And so I'm working on some stuff with that because there's, um, there's some stuff we don't need to fall into fear, but we can watch right now, and it's, 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 it's looking like that we are heading down the path of the, the coming of the Lord. And when I say that, I mean just for him to come and rapture his, his children. And um, there's a lot that is right now you're, you're hearing because we've not taught on it, because we've stepped away from it. And the reason the church stepped away from it is because um, I, I, was, I grew up in the 60s, 70s, and it was taught all the time. And what it created was a, an escapism mentality. And that escapism mentality allowed for the pornography, the, the, the stuff that you see today that has, has, I mean, Bible out of the schools, uh, can't teach Christianity inside our schools any longer, can't talk about that. And the reason that was taken away, one person took that away. One, one lady walks in the door of Congress and gets that taken away with a small group of people following her. How in the world do we let that happen? How in the world did the church let that happen? Well, they got so focused on, on the end time that there was, they, they looked at it as if Jesus is coming any minute, there's really no reason to fight for anything, you know? And the church kind of just laid back and they let pornography come in. They let, they let uh, the ratings of, of viewing movies change. They allowed all this stuff to happen when we had all the equipment to stop it and to hold the morality standard. And we, we, we didn't keep it. And now the result of that is blended families. Now we have to learn how to minister to blended families. Now we've got to begin to learn how to minister to people who are living out of, out of wedlock, out of marriage. Now we've got to figure out how we minister to, because all that, the, the, the breakdown of the family, the loss of the, the, the man in the house, and the man taking his responsibilities, and doing what he's, he's he produced children, now you've got to grow up and raise children and provide for children, and your providing never stops. And they think providing stops after they go to college or after they get into high school. We can back off. Men are not taking their responsibility. All that drums, all that, all that bleeds from decisions that the church made by getting so, so heavenly minded, Jesus is coming back, that we really don't have time to fight that. He's coming tomorrow. And it's now the term is an escapism mentality rather than standing and fighting for what's right. And, and I told a gentleman years ago, I remember walking in and Walmart Supercenter, um, had, they had one in Carbondale and then they built one um, somewhere else close. But Walmart was starting to take on groceries everywhere. And um, he was a, 
home-owned, home-operated business. And I was delivering to him, and, and I had treated him well. I had, uh, I had given him free fills to get the, get the shelf space. I'd done everything I could as an independent distributor that I could do for him as an independent grocer for us to work together because we're out here alone. We're not corporate. So do everything I can for him. And I walked in the store one day, and my display was gone. And there was a great big display from a corporate business. And I went and found him. I said, hey, man, what, what, what happened? I thought we were working together. He goes, well, they offered me what you offered me. And, and, and so he absorbed mine, took theirs, and put that corporate product on there. And I said, well, what about us working together as independents? He started laughing, and he said, he said oh, he said, uh, independent delivery is, is, is going by the wayside. I said, well, you better watch Walmart real close. I said, because the day will come when independent grocery stores will be going by the wayside. I said, and this is where it starts. We either stick together now or tomorrow we won't, neither one of us will exist. Well, a few years later, Benton Walmart became Benton's Supercenter. And guess who closed their doors just a few months after Benton's Supercenter opened up? Couldn't survive. The corporate ate him up. And so what I, what, the reason I say this is we didn't battle against Harry Flynn. We didn't battle against this woman who came uh, and, and took the Bible out of, out, of, out of the schools. We didn't fight when, when certain things were taking place. We didn't go to Washington. We didn't stand and we didn't have represent, representation. And folks, now you can watch as slowly it's getting closer and closer it was just four years ago, they said, close all the churches down. Close them all down because this, 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 this virus, we, churches are unsafe. Walmart is not unsafe. Dollar General is not unsafe. The mall is not unsafe. The car dealer is not unsafe. Church is unsafe. And already, right now, we have forgotten that actually took place. It seems like it was just a dream that we woke up from, and that really didn't happen. But it did happen. We sat back long enough, and they will take it all. And, and now, now we've, got, we've got pastors, church leaders. We've got leadership in, within, the, within the church that are now talking that there may not be a rapture. There may not be a second coming of Christ. That the millennial has already taken place, and we're in the millennial now, and it's us to bring the kingdom of God to the earth and, and, and we're supposed to transform. Yes, all that's true. We're supposed to bring the kingdom of God to here. Amen? That's what we do. And we never stop. Okay? But we are not in the millennial. This is not the millennial reign of Christ right now. 
If you'll read your Bible, you find out there's a few things that happen in the millennial reign from the beginning of the millennial reign. Not metamorphosizing in the millennial reign, but from the beginning of the millennial reign, the lion lays down with the lamb. Here's how you tell whether you're in the millennial reign. Get you a lamb and go to the zoo. Toss that lamb over the fence with the lion and let's see what happens. If the lion attacks the lamb and eats the lamb, you're not in the millennial. Hello? And there's so much more there that proves to us we're not in the millennial yet. Yet we've now got ministers. I'm friends with some of them that are now backing up on this second coming of Christ. So now I'm digging. Amen? Because, and the reason for this is, is that, that, that we go back to the King James translation. I'm amazed. There's people out there that will not teach or preach. I'm just giving you a little Bible lesson before I go to the, before I go to the Bible. They're teaching that now that there's some fault in the King James Bible, okay? But there's people who won't do anything but the King James. There's I call them religious nuts. If it's not the King James, they are not serial Christians. Fruits, nuts, and flakes. It's nothing but, and I know to this generation to say that, that's offensive. You're being mean, you're, you're name-calling, and you're judging and all this. Folks, the bottom line, the Bible said in the last day, if he did not shorten that time, that the very elect would be deceived. The very elect. How many of you count yourself as the very elect? Well, you should because you were chosen. But even you could be deceived. Amen? So, so we've got to take a look at this. Many of the church, I'm going to take you into some history in, in the next few weeks. You need to know your Bible history, not just the Bible and read the Bible, but you need to know your Bible history. Where did it come from? It didn't come from King James. Although everybody carries a Bible and it says King James Version, almost. But did you know the King James Version was not the original Bible? Did you know that it's only carrying about 73% and 83% of the actual Bible that was written? Am I freaking anybody out yet, or some of you already know this? Am I just talking to people who already know this, and you're waiting for me to come up with something you don't know, or, you know, you're awful quiet, but, but I'm just telling you, we have to go back to, this, I'm going to tell you, what we have in front of us, this thing right here, people gave their life for it. And what tells me is that it's, Jesus kept saying, before I come, it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. If we were in the millennial reign right now, it would be getting better and better and better. But see, 
The millennial reign is not about getting better and better and better. The millennial reign is, it's good right now. The authority of Christ has now come to earth. Do you know when he comes to earth, it's not going to kind of just bleed in? His authority will now have come, and it will be carried with spirit and power. Amen. The Bible says when he comes back, he will step down on the Mount of Olives. We've not seen that happen yet. And if we've not seen that happen yet, then are we in the millennial reign? What happens before the millennial reign? Right before the millennial reign will be seven years of tribulation. What happens before the tribulation or during the tribulation or right at the end of tribulation? See, we've got all kinds of people thinking it's post, mid, uh, pre, but I'm not here to argue that point. He's coming. And it's time for people to get their house in order. Jesus Christ is coming. People, I'm telling you, people gave their life to give us this gospel. Amen. And 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 I'm gonna tell you, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be the people who truly do believe what this thing says is gonna go. Amen. And it says a whole lot. It talks a whole lot. And then we got to put value back in this. It's not supposed to scare us. See, back in the 60s, 70s, early 80s, they used the coming of Christ to scare people into Christianity. And when someone's scared into Christianity, their loyalty is only to the coming of Christ. Because they don't want to miss it or die and let's go to heaven. But if all we're looking for is that right there and that's it, that's the only reason we're in this, then folks, your heart's not with Christ. Your heart's with yourself and saving your own flesh. He said there's going to be those that stand in front of him. And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. They'll say, yeah, but we cast out demons in your name. See, they said, Jesus never said they cast out demons in his name. They said we cast out demons in, our, in your name. They said they did certain things. Jesus never said you did certain things. Jesus said, I didn't know you. So that makes me feel a little uneasy. Good. I hope it makes you feel real uneasy. Because once certain things take place, there's no turning back. Once you take your last breath, there is no coming back to get it right then. You're now in eternity. And you're not in eternity to float around to, to, to have a, a third tier somewhere that you'll just be suspended in in the atmosphere somewhere, you're going to one place or the other. And once you are, and you created your own destiny for the value that what you put in life. Pat and I value this gospel more than we value anything in this world. We value it higher than our children. We value it higher than our grandchild. We value it higher than anything we own, possess, or ever will have. Because it is our life. 
Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. Through him, we have the wisdom to have a relationship with our children and with each other and with our grandchildren. And we have to get this settled in our heart that this is the most valuable thing to us. This is something that's not preached a lot. So I'm not going to preach on it today because it gets a little too heavy. But I want to talk to you in the future about where your Bible came from and wh why can you trust it. Why can you trust what it's saying and how important it is for each individual. I have three books in my, in my library that are essential for every believer, not pastors. For years, it was just for pastors, just for preachers, and very few of them used them. But the most precious books you can have at your house besides your Bible is to have a Strong's Concordance. To have a Vines and a Greek. You, you need those books. You need those books at your house so when you're reading, you can take and find out what is that Bible saying to you. Because there's some stuff in there the King James twisted. The King James left out. The King James added to. The man who actually wrote that, who transcribed that Bible, there's two men that transcribed that Bible back in the 1500s before King James. It cost one of them his life. Henry VIII killed him over, over, over that Bible. And it's, and, it's, and it's William Tyndall. At age 42, he was strangled to death and burned to the stake. For calling King Eight, King Eight, or, or, or Henry VIII out for wanting to put his wife away, and the Catholic Church was going to condone it, and he stepped up and said, "That is not of God. That is not of Scripture." They called him a heretic and started hunting him down. When they captured him, they had him in prison for a year, and then they killed him. But it's amazing to me. A 42-year-old, that young, that young, was so hungry for the Word of God and for others to get the Word of God in their hands that he laid down his life translating it from the original Greek and Hebrew, Aramaic. Wow. Wow. Where is that kind of fire burning in, in the bones of our young people today. Where is that fire? That I'll risk my life to get the truth out to somebody. See, the Bible calls us kings and priests. And we focus on kings a lot these days because we had never focused on it before. But while we're focusing on we are kings, we, we also have to be reminded that we are priests. Kings have authority. Kings are, are provided with the funding. Kings get a lot of stuff done, but priests are servants. Priests are servants. They lay their life down. Jesus was a king and a priest. 
Notice he came to wash feet, not to have his feet washed. He came to serve and to heal and to, and to, and to encourage and lift up. He didn't come to be healed. Folks, this is just where we're at. We got to get this turned back around because he's coming. Amen. And we certainly, as as those of us who are who are um, um, born again and accepted him as personal savior, I don't want to find myself in front of him. Not that I'm not accepted and not that I don't get to go in. I don't want to find myself in front of him that I wasn't tarrying till he came. That I wasn't busy until the last day. That I wasn't, I wasn't trying to show someone his love before he got here. Amen? I certainly don't want the trumpet to sound while I'm chewing somebody out over over, you know, stuff. <laughs> you know, stuff. Stuff that you'll get a new one later. Amen? And a new plan later. I want to find myself when he calls that I'm busy sharing his love. I have that power. You have that power. All right, John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Go with me to James. Grace and truth. The law came by Moses. Law Moses was the lawgiver. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Go with me to James. Chapter number 1. Verse number 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot tempt or be tempted with evil, neither tempt he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Do you know we're all born with a lust? Do you know we all have a tendency? Here's what Satan does. He comes in and he fools you and shames you into thinking that you are just a, you are one or one of a small group that has the temptations or the tendencies that you have. And they become a non-topic of conversation. We steer away from it because we're ashamed of what our temptation is and what our tendency is. Did you know what homosexuality is? It's a tendency. You're not born homosexual, but you are born with a tendency. You're not born a lesbian. You're, not, you're, you're born with a tendency of that. It is, it is, we are all born in sin. And we all have a sin 
tendency. We cannot justify sin. We can go to the legal department. We can go to Congress and we can write laws and we can excuse and we can stamp approval. We can do all those things. We can, but it doesn't, it doesn't supersede the law of God. And the law of God, he's not judging. You're not judged yet. That's why I don't judge people who are in tendencies. I love them. Why? Because they're, they're enduring this temptation and they don't know they have an overcomer. They don't know that they can, they can overcome this. This bondage that you're chained to, you've grown used to. And it has become something that you just, it is just part of you and you don't even notice it anymore. Matter of fact, you justify it. Make excuses for it. It's okay. Actually, the law says it's all right. Actually, you talking about it is against the law. Here's the bottom line. Acceptance or unacceptance is a tendency. You tend to that. Now watch, tendency, you tend to something. If you begin to tend to that and cultivate that, that comes out of your brokenness, it will grow and it will expand because you have the power for that. As a human being created in the image of God, you have the power to cultivate, grow, expand, and build. You have that power. It is a, a God-given power to do so. That's why you see people who are not Christians building wealth. They have the power to a tendency of a love for money and a greed for it to go out there and build it and build it and build it and then use it against or use it for. They have the power. We, the church, has looked at that and we have demonized it. Just like we've demonized homosexuality, we've demonized uh, same-sex same marriage, we've demonized abortion, we've demonized uh, pornography, we've demonized uh, whoredom, we've demonized divorce, we've demonized uh, tobacco use, we've demonized alcohol. We, the church just like, they just demonize everything. When the bottom line is, these are tendencies, and we need to help people learn, and all those tendencies come out of a brokenness, an abuse, an unacceptance, a feeling of unacceptance. See, sometimes unacceptance is not even real, but it's what's been cultivated in you because you have a tendency of unacceptance. And so you cultivate that unacceptance, and then to whatever sin you're, you're, you're tenden tendency to, you attach that, and it grows and builds and increases. Is there a devil loose? Absolutely. Are demons real? Sure. But we're demonizing the people who are born with a tendency just like you were born with a tendency. Would you like to be demonized? With the things you're still struggling with? Let somebody find out your secrets and begin to point them out to you and start demonizing that? I don't think so. 
what do we what do we need all is all help is in the word of god because when we begin he's the answer he's the one that can heal the brokenhearted the bible says he heals the brokenhearted and he mends the wounded soul and when that happens now spiritual things because he's healing the inside now the spiritual truth can be contained. What happens is we go to church and we stay broken and we attain and attain and attain and we all of a sudden have a new knowledge, a new revelation, a new, it's not new, it's just new to us. It was always there in the Bible. The grace message was always in the Bible. The message of abundance was always in the Bible. The message of healing was always in the Bible. The message of of, of um, healed relationships and such, uh, dead coming back to life, um, all those things that we get so mesmerized about and get so attracted to and run to, we're always in the Bible. But when we get to experience them for the first time, it's revealed to us, which now becomes a new revelation for us, but it is not new. It has always been there. Speaking in tongues, for some people, that's a new revelation. But for others, they found that in the Bible long ago, and it's not new to them. It's daily life to them. It became revelation to them years ago. It can become revelation for you today. Amen? So, so when we begin to see that people are hurting, and we can find a way to use the anointing that is placed on us. I'm going to show you here in just a minute. You're anointed. You're anointed to lay hands. You're anointed. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have a big show. Laying on of hands can just be taking somebody's hand. Laying on of hands can just be put an arm around someone and love on them. Amen? But the anointing that he's anointed you with, it is his anointing. And we as Christians get to thinking that we're not good enough because we judge everybody else. The Bible says, judge, judge not, lest you be judged. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean, I'm not going to judge you, so Jesus doesn't judge me. Okay, now if that's what it means, that means I, regardless what I do, I still think God's going to judge me. But if I don't do that, maybe God won't judge me. That's not what that means. Judge not lest you be judged means the, the mentality and the revelation that it takes for you to judge someone actually comes back on yourself. Because in your psyche, if you're judging someone, you know you're judged. And if you don't feel judgment, you automatically, you know you've been set free. You know the grace of God has set you free and you're not judged anymore. You don't judge others. Because you know you're not judged, they're not judged. But when we judge, we're not convinced we're not judged. So he's not telling you that judging somebody will be a result of you being judged. Judging somebody is a result of you already feeling judged. Hmm. Hmm. So what we're doing is when we judge, we're producing a judgment 
that we ourselves live under that we don't realize we've been forgiven of and we can live free of. Okay? So, so, let's just move on. Said, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust or his own hungers, his own desires, and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We really misquote this scripture of every good gift and perfect gift is from above when some of our good and perfect gifts are materialized by our own actions and manipulation to give an appearance that we are better or closer to God than someone else. And I got news for you. None of you are closer to God than the other. Boy, that's a hard one to take. Because we think if we're closer to God, then we get our prayers are, and we're looking for someone closer to God when we're looking for prayer. We have an emergency. We need God to do something, and we start looking for someone who's closer to God than we are. Or we perceive they're closer to God than we are. When the fact is, no one is closer to God than you are. He lives inside of you. How much closer are you wanting him to be? How much closer are you wanting to be? Amen? It's as we move away from our flesh and deny our flesh, we hear him more clearly, but he is speaking to you right now. He speaks to you every day. He speaks to you all day long. When you hear from God, you just heard a little caption of what he had to say because he is talking all the time to you. He is counseling with you all the time. Once in a while, we settle down enough and get quiet enough to hear, and we hear. But it's not because he's not always communicating with us, always trying to help us. Is he judging us? Is he condemning us? No, he's trying to help us maneuver through this thing that we've been given called life. He has the answers to it. When he says here that when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. Notice when he says up here, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. He didn't say blessed is the man who conquers temptation, did he? How many of you have ever raced, run a race, a long race? My sweet daughter-in-law back there, she has. Did you win? But you endured to the end. Hello? The Bible says, he that endures to the end shall be saved, right? Not he who wins the race, but he who endures. There's an idea there that we don't quit with always the hope that we will conquer. 
and knowing that we will if we keep our eyes on him. Because he said, you are more than conquerors through Christ. In my temptation, I may be tempted for years over something and enduring it over and over again. God did not bring that in my life to make me a stronger Christian, to draw me closer to him. Although, although it takes, it, it does one of two things. It either drives you toward him or it drives you away from him. And we hope that it drives you toward him because he's the only answer. But when you don't believe he's the only answer, it drives you away from him. And we give up and we succumb to it. And then we're swallowed up in it. It's conceived in us and it produces. And then as children of God, children of God, we endure so many things that we were never intended to endure. Because what did he say? When sin is conceived and it, and it manifests and it does what it does, what happens when we give up and we just said, what happens? It produces death. I, I, it's just countless how many times I've sat in my office talking with someone who something has died in their life. Their confidence in a relationship. Their ability to be true to one person. Their, their, their inconsistency in how they handle their relationship. And their lives are just broken. Did you know, did you know the truth is, and we don't talk about it, did you know the truth is that the more people you sleep with, it, you're, you're created in your sin nature to protect yourself. And the more you sleep with, with, with different people and get broken time after time, you begin to guard your own heart. The problem with that self-mechanism of protection is it hardens your heart in relationship to open up to the one God really did have waiting for you. And it also in turn hardens your heart to him to receive his love. It produces death. What did sin produce in Adam and Eve in the garden? Death. Did they die? No. They were still very much alive. Very much active. Still eating. Still building a campfire. Still having shelter, still doing it, and lived to be very old, yet they were dead on the inside. Ooh. Christ came so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, took a dead thing and made it live again, is the same spirit that rests inside of you. So whenever you have that spirit in you, you have the ability to take someone who has gotten themselves wrapped up in a lust, 
wrapped up in a hunger, and they have let it conceive in themselves, and it has broken, and it has killed something on the inside of them to give them no ability to, to attach to the way God had planned for them to have joy in life, for them to have happiness in life, for them to have peace in life. You have the power of the resurrected Savior in you to wrap your arm around them and pray for them and healing take place and that dead thing rise up again and they're able to live again in Christ. Man, that's, that is a power living inside of you. That no matter how bad the story comes to, you still have the power to raise it up again and another chance given, another opportunity had. Man, that's in you right now, Tammy. Right now that's in you. You don't have to wait 10 more days or 10 more years and learn some more and get some more. You know what they didn't tell us? When we got saved, that's when that power came in us. Man, that's awesome. So when our friends are hurting, when our friends have, have broken some rules, when our friends have crossed some lines, when our loved ones have, have went too far and, and it has been conceived in them and they produce sin and it's producing death in them, we don't judge them. We love them and lay hands on them, pray for them, and God restores them. That's the grace of God working through you, the same grace that worked upon you at one time and will continue to. Amen? Because all of us are, are subject to temptation. All of us are subject to conceiving. And all of us are subject to death, even as Christians particularly as Christians. There's nothing the devil would love more for you to be a child of God and cancer attached to you or the inability to have a relationship attached to you, the inability of hope for tomorrow to attach to you, the inability to you work and slave and work and slave and it seems like everything goes through your fingers. The devil loves that. He's got you in a point where you have, you have attached to something, you, you hungered after it. It was, it was something that you were born in and you held on to and, you, and now you're, 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 you're dealing with it and you went past dealing with it and it has now been conceived in you and now it has produced death and you can't hold on to a dollar. It just slides through your hands. You know what the church does? They, they judge them. Well, you know, they don't. They don't tithe. That's the problem. That's one of the first ones church uses. Well, if they tithe, yeah, they'd have be able to hold on to their money. Nope. 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 If they would get healed, they would be able to hold on to their money. Because their money is their life. Hello? Hey, right? You laid your life down for it. Now here it is, and it just runs through your hands like, 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 like sand. Why does it do that? Because you need to be healed. And when you're healed, and then you know who you are, it's like the Bible says he just, he, just, he just sews up your pockets, and the sand doesn't, the money doesn't flow through them any longer. Amen? 
He blesses you. He gives you, he gives you side hustle that makes up for everything else you lost. See, God's always in the business of restoring. God is never in the business of judging you. He will be judge on one day. And I've accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I'm going to lean on Him, and I'm going to trust that it is His grace that I am saved. And on that day, I won't. I, the only side of judgment, Matt, that I'm going to be on is I am now judged righteous. I am now judged as King of. I'm judged with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am judged as a priest. I am judged as a child of God. I am judged righteously and I am judged and that judge will send forth my sentence and he will say now here is the crown of righteousness here is the robe here is the insignia ring here are the shoes and here is your mansion and here is your eternal life that's how I'm going to be judged because of what Christ did for me amen but today is not the day of crowning, and the day is not the day of robes, and the day is not the day of shoes. Although I have that authority given to me through him, today is the day of being a priest, serving others. Not judging others, but wrapping your arm around them and serving them. Amen? Jesus didn't judge those disciples. He said, come here, I'll wash your feet. What was the representation of that? Washing off. He said, not your whole body, because your whole body's already been cleansed. What was Jesus referring to? Salvation. You've already been cleansed. I'm here to wash off your feet from the travels that you've had in life. Some of you have had to, some friends have had to walk down some pretty muddy roads. Some friends have had to walk through some, they had no other path left to them. They took an avenue that led to the pig pen, and they had to walk through the pig pen. Somebody needs to be there to wash their feet. Amen? Foot washing is not the symbol, symbolicism that we do at church, and we all get together and feel really uncomfortable. Go do your pedicure before foot washing because you don't want anybody to see the, the, the calluses and the corns and the, and the crooked toenails and the, get that all cleaned up when we have foot washing. And then we all get together and how, I don't, how many of you have ever been in a foot washing before? Bless your heart. You are so, you're so fortunate because I've been in a lot of them. And you know how they all feel? Awful. I'm telling you, Awful. They're, they're, they're miserable, okay? Jennifer's just over there. She's, <laughs> you better believe they're miserable. You know what they are? We're trying to produce something in the flesh that we should have already been doing as children of the living God. That same group that foot washes, the same group that judges people for the mess they're trapped in, or the road they traveled. When in reality, throw your pan aside, pitch it in the trash, and get out there with the water of God's word and wash their feet. Spiritually. Wash, their, wash them from the path they, were, they found themselves. Some of them got there, they didn't know how. Others got there on purpose with a plan. Amen? Amen? Out of their own lust. 
But however they got there, however they made it through that, we're here, we're here as children of God to love them. And as we begin to tell them who they are and how God's going to heal their heart, as I just put my arm around you and you just trust God. Trust God like you trust him for your salvation. You just put your arm around knowing that he's anointed you and the anointing in you is going to flow through you onto them. And as you just tell them who they are in Christ, and I'm going to pray for you, and, and God's going to heal your heart right now. And guess what? They're going to get a fresh feeling of salvation again. You know what that is? A foot washing. That's a foot washing not getting together with a tub of water. Humbling yourself. You know, that was always to make you feel humbled. I felt uncomfortable. Always felt uncomfortable, you know. I, you know, I mean, really. So, is that right today? Say it with me again, I'm anointed. Put your hand on your belly and say, I'm anointed. He, the anointing lives in me. I have the power to heal the brokenhearted, to mend the wounded soul, and to wash their feet. For I am a servant of the living God. I'm a priest. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You, you know what? When you're a servant, you know what else you are? You're a king. Hallelujah. You can't be a servant and not be a king. That was Jesus' perfect example of his living here on earth. He was a king and a servant. A king to God, a servant to the people. Amen? Amen. All right, God bless you. Father, we thank you today for your word. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, Father, for your blood that has has washed us clean we thank you father for your word that continues to cleanse us father even when we mess up father we know that we have a tie to you we've accepted you as our personal savior and your word washes us clean help us that when we find ourselves in those situations and maybe even ourselves, we have, we have even made our own decisions. Father, I thank you. May we get a desire to run to you and not from you. Knowing that you love us unconditionally and everything that we have done, you already saw before we even got saved. While you were pursuing us, you knew all about us. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that in that grace that we have with you, that Father, we have grace to give, grace to spread, grace to impart. And Father, we are healers of the broken heart and menders of the wounded soul. We are ambassadors of this kingdom, this great kingdom of God. We give you the praise and glory. We receive your protection this week. We receive your blessing and increase. And we receive, Father, someone in our life that needs a foot washing that we can provide in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.